You know, there is a lot of beauty and sweetness to this life. And I don't want you to come to church and be told otherwise. There's beauty, there's awesomeness, there's looking in the face of your children. And, you know, we'll, most of us, because we live in this country, thank God, you know, we will have peace today and we'll watch football or we'll eat. We won't have people kicking on our door, have to worry about bombs falling on our heads. I mean, in some parts of the world, in some parts of life, there's a lot of beauty, there's a lot of sweetness. And I want you to be sure and hold on to that. At the same time, there are some trends in our time that are disturbing. We are living in an increasingly immoral generation. You don't need me to tell you that. We're living in an increasingly violent generation. You don't need me to tell you that. Uh, we've got a lot of hatred. It's like almost like any little difference between any two people is some reason to hate them. Some demon of hate's gotten in the middle of that. We've got corruption. We've got problems. We've got situations. And, and you know that. You know that. You live in these times. You're informed. Many of you are right in the middle of a lot of that stuff trying to make a difference. And I'm so proud of you. But I want to parallel this morning for the sake of the word we're going to talk about from Scripture. I want to parallel our times with the year 95. Not 1995. 95. 1st century, 95. Uh, it was a time of great difficulty for the people of God. And the book that we're going to read from, 1 John, was written in this year, in 95 as best we know, according to all the historians. And, and you've got to understand now that Jesus had been raised from the dead 65 years before, and then he had ascended to the Father. Only one of his original disciples was left. Some of the New Testament wasn't even written yet. It certainly hadn't been put together as the New Testament. And the church was being persecuted. In fact, actually, more important perhaps than the persecution were the heresies and false teachings that were arising within the church. In fact, uh, we, we are told in a number of books of the New Testament at this time, the Antichrist spirit, not so much maybe a person, but at least the spirit was arising at that time. And, the, and the, what was going on spiritually outside the church was filtering in the church and causing all kinds of trouble. And it's just to address that kind of stuff, the same kind of stuff that we're dealing with, with today, that the Apostle John, uh, the, one of the, one of the, only, the only disciple of Jesus who is still alive in 95. He had to be in his late 80s by that point. It's to address all of that stuff that he then writes 1 John. And we're going to dive into one verse that I think is the transitional verse in this book. And I think it's actually the key, the heart of victory for that time and for us. Now, John is the guy I like. John's the guy who called himself the beloved disciple because he had such a revelation of the love of Jesus. All through the New Testament, whenever he's writing, he mentions himself as the beloved disciple. Maybe my favorite verse about him happens uh, when the, the resurrection has occurred and the women who have already been to the tomb, the empty tomb, have come and told the disciples that Jesus is not there. And John tells us in John chapter 20, he wrote the gospel of John. Uh, he tells us in chapter 20, I love this, it's just such a man thing. He says, Peter and I ran to the tomb, and then he says, and I outran him. <laughs> I outran him. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, man. Stuff's happening, and a man's got to go, no, I beat him. I beat him. No, it's, I, I whooped him. It's John that Jesus gives his mother to when Jesus is on the cross. He turns to John and says, John, this is your mother, Mary, his mother. This is your son. In other words, take care of her now for me. 
Uh, it's John who writes the Gospel of John, a big, beautiful, highly symbolic, theological book, has more teaching of Jesus than the other Gospels do, a very, very powerful, very beautifully written. It's possible, though John was a fisherman, he may also have been a priest and have a, a pretty amount, a significant amount of learning. We see that in the pages. By this point, uh, by 95, he's also written the book of Revelation which is powerful and transforming. And the only book in the Bible that we're just reading it brings a blessing, it says. It specifically says you read this, a blessing comes upon you. So now John is an old man. He's in his late 80s, and the church is in trouble. Think about it. You don't have a Bible. You don't have the original disciples. Uh, there's lots of heresy going on. There's a lot of persecution happening. The Roman Empire is ticked off about the Christians and a big persecution. Decades of persecution are about to begin. There's division inside the church and people with wrong motives and all kinds of things. And John sits down to talk to the church. He's older, so he talks to them as children. He addresses them as children. And he begins with 1 John chapter 1, and he starts describing everything I've just said. He starts describing false teachings. He starts describing people whose cult love has gone bad. He starts describing, he even uses the word antichrist a few verses before, describes the spirit that's out there, describes what's happening in society. And then he comes down to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. And I love this verse, and I believe that this is where John pivots this is where John, who is describing an era somewhat like ours, this is when he pivots and says, here's all the stuff that's going wrong, but here is the heart of victory. Here is the key to how you are going to overcome. And I believe it was as true then as it is now, and I want to explore this verse with you. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, he changes his tone. He's been kind of negative, kind of like I've been this far in this sermon, describing the negative. And then he says, you are from God, little children. You are from God and have overcome them. Wow, that's quite a statement. And by the way, it hadn't happened factually yet, but what he's saying is the victory has already been won. You are from God and you have overcome them. But look what he says next. And that, by the way, join me every time I say this this morning. It'll be about 900 times because I love this verse, you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's do it again. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Come on. Come on. John... John knows everything that's gone wrong. He's an elder. He's had visions of heaven. He's a prophetic voice in his generation. He knows what's happening. But in the middle of this book, he, he pivots and he says, all this stuff is going on. But you have already overcome because you're from God. Not physically, but, you know, born, born again of God. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And I got to tell you, he expected that those words, as they became revelation in the hearts of believers, would change everything. Because that is the heart of our victory. Let me, let me explain it. There's two halves to this sentence. First is, greater is he who is in you. The Bible teaches that when we believe in Jesus Christ... 
when we believe God raised him from the dead and, and we, we ask him to come into our lives as our Savior and dwell in us and we repent of our sins and, and become born again, the Bible says the spirit of Jesus comes to live in us. And many of you have experienced this and you know what it's like. You get saved and now there's new life on the inside of you and your life is not your own anymore and you feel that on the inside. Then the Bible says not only is that true, and by the way, uh, the disciples experienced that in John 20 when they saw the resurrected Jesus and he, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So you get the Holy Spirit inside of you. You get the Spirit of Jesus inside of you when you get born again. However, there's also, according to the Bible, a second experience with the Spirit of God, and it's described in Acts chapter 1 and other places in the Bible. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, he was telling the disciples, and when the Spirit comes in power, you will be my witnesses. So you receive the Holy Spirit when you get born again, but then there's a thing the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God comes upon you. It's a baptism of power. It's a baptism to impact other people. It's a baptism to break through the forces of this generation and set the captives free. That's why Jesus told his disciples not to leave Jerusalem until it happened. And we see it happening with a kind of an on-site report in Acts chapter 2, where the sound of a rushing mighty wind happens in the room, and tongues of fire appear, and people speak in other tongues, and all of a sudden, Peter, who's made no sense the whole stinking Bible thus far, right? Peter, I'm just saying. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes on him, and he preaches an awesome, and we're all just standing back going, Peter? because Peter's made no sense. But suddenly when the Spirit of God comes on these people, they have power and they do amazing things because the Spirit has come on them in power. Now, I believe that John at that moment was trying to embed in the church in 95 AD a sense of the living Jesus on the inside of them who would break the forces that had come against them. Let's talk about the second half of the verse. First, it says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, wait a minute. Because of our having to use English to read Scripture, we, we misunderstand something here. We, in English, use the word world to mean the whole planet, right? When we talk about the whole world, we're talking about the whole planet. We even sing a Christian song. He's got the whole world in his hands, and what we're thinking of is the whole globe. But in the, in the New Testament, in the original language, there's a the difference between the earth and the world. The earth is the planet. And the Bible says, here's some good news, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You see, when we use the English word wrong and think that the whole planet belongs to the devil, right? The Bible says that the, the world is under the control of the evil one. We, we think that the, he's got the whole planet. No. The earth is the Lord's. What the devil controls is the evil system of men on the earth. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is a beautiful thing. That's why you love. By the way, Romans 1 says that, that all that has been created in the natural world reveals his divine glory and eternal power. That's why you love mountains and, and oceans and, and hills and fish and, and animals and I, I guess vegetables. I'm not sure they're really of God, but I, I don't know. Bev says they are. I love her. I believe her. I'm married to her. But I'm just saying it's questionable. But, but all the natural world reveals God. So the earth is a marvelous thing. It's groaning against the curse that we're all under uh, from Adam, but, but, but that's, that's, that's another topic. The, what the devil rules 
And what this verse is talking about is the evil part of the system of men on the earth. The spirit that rules in the air and controls the evil systems. So what you've got is an earth that belongs to the Lord. Here we are with Jesus living on the inside of us, dwelling in us. We're baptized in his spirit. We're filled with the spirit. We're, we're, we're walking in the power of God. And the devil is operating in the world trying to destroy. And I got to tell you, I think that right then is when the pivot towards victory happens in John's book. He says, all this stuff is going on, but you're from God. You've overcome. Why? Why have you overcome? What's the basis of your victory? Because greater, come on, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Listen, I'm not trying to be weird here, but I want you to say that to yourself in the coming week as much as you possibly can. Greater is he who is in me. Say it like that. Say it. Greater is he who's in me than he who is in the world. And I tell you, I believe that as the Lord pops that revelation in our hearts, that victories are going to begin to happen. I believe that. Not because of me preaching it or because we're in church or just because we're somehow specially privileged. Because we're talking about the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We'll have an Easter service sometime next spring and we'll hear awesome sermons about the tomb and we'll all be excited and tearful about how Jesus came out of the tomb. And I love it all. Nobody goes crazier at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter than me Candy and all the celebrations. I love all of that stuff. But when we're talking about Easter, don't think that it's just one Sunday a year. We live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything special about us, but because Jesus took mercy on our sorry heads and intervened. And so I want to take you very quickly here before we spend time praying for it for just a few folks. I want to take you through... Um, Seven areas that this truth ought to change in our lives. And the reason is that in a true biblical sermon, you got to have seven points. I'm just saying, the Spirit doesn't mean that you have seven. Corey preaches three, he'll grow, he'll grow. Don't worry, he'll, he'll catch up. But I'm just having fun. But, but I got seven for you. Here's number one. Number one, free, knowing this, Understanding what this truth, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, means that you are freed from the power of this world. Now, in the book of Acts, the power of Satan is described in a Greek word you can't see in English. Let me just trust me for the moment. It's described as a snake. And it's like a boa constrictor or an anaconda that wraps around and squeezes and that's what the enemy wants to do. That's why John wants us to know that the resurrected spirit of God, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus is on the inside of us and is delivering us and empowering us. And that's why we've overcome. That's specifically what he says. Because if we don't know that, then we can accept the deceptive strangling, entangling, enticing, tempting work of the evil one in our lives as just the way it has to be. I've been drawn into sin, so have you. I've had my dark nights of the soul, so have you. 
I've gone to church services where I was so bound up and, and preoccupied with stuff and just feeling heaviness and oppression that I might have just as well been watching some TV show as to go to church because I was hardly paying attention. Why? Because the enemy at that stage in my life had wound around me, was trying to squeeze me. I, I was in Latin America one time and, and the people there who were hosting me wanted me to just experience a snake. Well, you know, I'm not afraid of snakes, but they're not my happiest thought. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it's a snake. It's Whatever. So they put a little snake about the size of your shoelace around my arm. Just the size of the shoelace. I was younger and much more arrogant then, and I thought, that won't do anything. I stuck my arm out and I kind of flexed a little bit, just trying to get a little bit of this going. You understand what I'm saying? Just a little bit of show. And they put this little shoelace kind of snake around my arm, and that sucker started to squeeze. Lord have mercy. He was the size of a shoelace. You've got to understand, I'm 6'4", I weigh 4, 500, 600 pounds. I don't know what I weigh, but I weigh a lot. Shut up. <laughs> Leave me alone. That snake almost brought me to my knees because that little tiny snake was just squeezing. He wanted control, that little sucker. He wanted control. He was, he was afraid of me, and I was afraid of him by that time. And that's what the Bible wants us to understand about how the enemy works. He gets inside of our lives. I don't mean as Christians he's just able to take over. But whatever we surrender to him, whatever we don't fight for, whatever we don't know we have victory in, or maybe we're not even born again yet, we didn't know there was a spiritual fight going on. And that's where you are this morning, man. We'll help you join us this morning, no problem. My point is that he gets inside there and he takes over whatever he can take over, whatever you give up to him, Right? But when you understand that he doesn't have a right to stay there, that John told you, you're of God, you have overcome, go ahead, and work with me, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Then you start realizing, I don't have to put up with this stuff. I, I, I uh, studied religions in my life, and you may know a little bit about that, and, and uh, and I've spent time in the Middle East a lot, and I've spent some time with some of our Orthodox Christian friends, genuinely, seriously, Jesus-loving Orthodox friends. Well, they have such a theology of the spirit of Jesus being on the inside of us that when they pray for something to happen in our lives, they want the spirit to do, you know what they do? They don't primarily pray. Now, they will, but they don't, they don't primarily pray about it coming on us. They pray about it arising from inside. And the, the Orthodox priests over there, I've, I've got one, I spent time with one who's just, just a man of God. I mean, they're, they're just, it's amazing. And he, they, he, would, he would do this. He would put his hands like this, like a priest kind of over the head of the person. He's praying against whatever. And, and, and then he would say, arise, Jesus, in Greek. And I thought, that, at that time, I had not really thought about that. We're, we're, we're all charismatic Pentecostal types, you know, in our theology. Come upon him, Lord fall, let come on us. Well, that's fine. That's great. The Lord does that. We want that. But at the same time, if you're walking around with the mighty one on the inside of you, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, get that spirit to arise. Lord, arise and set us free, right? So that's, that's what I want. I don't want you to be uh, entangled. I don't want you to be dominated. I don't want you to be defeated by the power of the world. So number one is we're freed from the power of the world. The other thing is we're freed from the fears of the world. Time and again, we're told, this is number two, time and again, we're told in the New Testament 
that the enemy dominates us by fear. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15 is a verse I've always loved uh, just because it's so compassionate. And it says that through fear of death, the devil has kept people, and here's the phrase that used to move me in tears, has kept people in bondage all their lives. Gosh, can you, I mean, have you known people just all their lives? They're just tormented by fear They're all their lives. Well, the fact that it's in that verse says to me, God's aware of that. God sees it. God has compassion for it, and he's trying to set us free, right? I don't want to be dominated by fear. And that's what the enemy does. You read all those great songs that we have from Elizabeth and Mary and, and others at the beginning of the Gospels. And almost every time it talks about those who are under a spirit of fear. That there's a fear. The enemy is using fear to dominate people. But the Messiah has come and he sets them free. And a shining light shines in a dark place. So I, I want you, I, we're not going to embarrass anybody today. I'm not trying to make you stand up, run around, do whatever. But I, but I, but I want you to ask yourself, is there fear that Jesus has defeated dwelling somewhere in my life? I'm going to tell you right now, my answer is yes. Is it okay for the guy preaching to say that he's got some stuff he needs further victory in? Absolutely. I'm not a fearful guy. You wouldn't know, and I ain't going to tell you. But, <laughs> but I do. I think we all have some kind of fear somewhere. And now we ought to go to the solution. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. It's either true or it's not. And John the apostle, who should have known, walked with Jesus, saw him in the heavenlies, connected, overcoming with that truth that the resurrected power of Jesus Christ is on the inside of you. Number three, it frees you from the lies of this world. Number one was free you from the power. Number two is free you from the fear. Number three is free you from the lies of this world. The devil is a liar. This world, the secular, the, the pain, the, I don't mean the secular, the, uh, the, the sinful satanic part is built on lies. Bev and I um, have been having a little fun here in the last day or two, uh, talking about, just remembering song lyrics that have supposed wisdom for, for us, that's just a lie, and it gets you in trouble, right? Now, I know I'm going to tick off some old hippies. Don't, I'm, just, I'm just picturing a lot of old hippies in tie-dye meet me at the door as I try to leave the church, so just be, just be patient with me. But back in the dark ages, there was a rock group about long about the 70s that sang, if you can't be with the one you love, be with the one you, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Oh, now there's some wisdom, baby. There you go. That's a good way to blow up a marriage. That's a good way to get in trouble. That's a good way to create about 92 children that you don't have, you know, your arms around. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, good. There's some wisdom. And because it was sung to a good tune, I wonder how many adulteries that launched in a generation. You follow what I'm saying? It's a lie. We were laughing about a movie. I realize I'm older than most of you, and you won't even, you won't even know what this movie is. But there was a movie that had a song. song the movie's called Love Story. And the song had the verse in it, I think. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Give that a shot, baby. <laughs> Give that a shot. All the men are looking at me like, oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> oh, yeah. We thought of another one, too. What was it? Huh? Oh, I know. I remember one. Bev mentioned something about a makeup commercial. 
And I remember seeing this in a magazine in German. I grew up in Germany. Uh, in German, uh, Der Stern was the magazine, those of you who maybe lived in Germany in military lore. And uh, it said, they'll love you when you're beautiful. I don't know about you, but for me, that's never going to happen if it's based on how, I mean, come on. That's just a lie. And we can laugh about it, and that's fine. I, I, I'm obviously doing this to have a little fun. But picture a 13-year-old girl believing that garbage. And picture the devastation that can come in her life because somebody's told her, some beautiful model in, a, in their stand in 1972, a big, big kind of people magazine, bigger than that, it's more like Newsweek or Look was what I'm trying to say. Look, I know some of you weren't even born, but just hang in. Um, and, and she sees the beautiful model saying, they'll love you when you're beautiful. Bondage, lies. How about the other lies? How about the lies we believe in our family lines? How about the lies we believe about ourselves? How about the things we've been told about whatever, our gender, our race, our background, our nation, our ethnicity, our uh, people who have been a certain thing and we're that certain thing? You know what I'm talking about. You, those of you who are the men, especially who have been in some of our men's meetings, will know that I love the movie Rudy. There's certain movies you're not going to heaven unless you've seen. And um, just having fun. And Rudy's one of them. And in this movie, you, you've, I'm sure you've seen it, you know the story. But basically, spoiler alert, uh, Rudy's this young guy, he idolizes Notre Dame. They lost last night, I wept. But they idolize Notre Dame, and uh, he, he just gets this idea he's going to go play for Notre Dame. But she don't just get up and do one morning. And doggone it, if by the end of the movie he hasn't played a few plays uh, for Notre Dame. And the bigger issue is he gets to go finish Notre Dame. Well, now, he's the first one in his whole family that's ever been to college. And, and at some point, his father sits him down when he's thinking about all this craziness and says, look, the family name is Rudiger. He says, look, we're just Rudigers. Whenever we try to do anything exceptional, it always fails. That's just who we are. That's just the way it'll always be. It's a lie. In the movie, it's a lie. But if you believe stuff like that, it's a lie. Well, that just ticks Rudy off. He's like five foot and 100 pounds, right? I mean, there's no way he should be playing for Notre Dame. He not only plays a few plays for Notre Dame, he ends up graduating with a degree from Notre Dame. And the cool thing is, at the end of the movie on the screen, it says that all of his brothers and sisters after him went to college because he broke through. Somebody exposed the lie. What's the lie in your family line? What's the lie for you? Right? What's the lie? Uh, I remember, I told the earlier service, I remember that uh, in ministry, some of us years ago, were trying to help a guy get over alcohol. And they just having a hard time. They asked me to kind of come in and help, although that's not exactly my specialty. And um, so I started asking some questions in my field's history and literature, so I'm always asking cultural questions. What, what, what's your people's background and so on? Well, the guy said, we're Irish. And you may know that Irish tend to be heavy drinkers. And he said, so uh, we're Irish and we're just always going to be, we're just always going to be heavy drinkers and it's always going to be that way. That's just the way it is with us. So see, he's used to his father coming home, knocked down drunk and losing jobs over alcohol and it, it, people getting bloody lips. And he's used to his grandfather. He's just been that way his whole life. And so he's bought the lie that because he's Irish, that somehow he's got to be in bondage to alcohol. That was what was holding it tight. Not, it wasn't actually what was in the bottle. I mean, I know that was part of it. But the main lynch point for the destruction in his life was the lie he was believing. There's not one gospel for the Irish and another for the rest of us. There's just the gospel of Jesus. You give your life to Jesus, then greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And when he, over time, it was hard because, again, he was Irish. When he finally got that idea, he got set free. And you'd be surprised at who he is today. I'm not going to tell you. I mean... 
he's a little bit well-known, but he went through the school and, you know, accomplished some pretty cool things. But he believed a lie. It was a lie his whole, his whole family had believed. Maybe many people in his nation. I don't, I don't know much about that particular side of Irish history, much as I love Ireland. And he got set free. Now, the fourth thing that this truth does is it heals you from the damage of the world. This world hurts. And the spirits in this world, the demonic force in this world, remember that's just the evil system of men on the planet God owns, that those demonic forces, the Bible makes it clear. It uses all kinds of words. They want to crush you. They want to crush you kind of like that little snake was crushing my arm. They want to crush you. They want to hurt you. They'll set situations up to wound you. They'll set situations up to, to smash into you. And you've been in this world long enough to know that that's true. But the good news is we are of God. If you're born again, you're of God. You're born anew of God. And you then, John says, overcome. And the spirit in you is the spirit of the healer, Jesus Christ. And you've read the Gospels, many of you. You know that Jesus healed every kind of person, cast out demons, set people free, opened blind eyes, drove off disease. Well, that same spirit of that same Jesus is inside of you if you're born again. And thus John is saying, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, I've been preaching to you as individuals, and there's, that's absolutely true. Everything I've said about the, the first four principles are absolutely true. But there's, a, there's something in the Greek of this, this sentence that I haven't brought out yet. And that is that when it says, greater is he who is in you, that Y-O-U is not an individual you, it's a corporate you, it's plural. So everything I've said to you is true. It's true. Don't, don't, don't think I'm backing away from it. But here's the beauty of it. When you are born again in Jesus, when the Spirit of God comes to live in you, you then are put amongst a people. And those people now begin to be part of your experience and your victory. In fact, i got to tell you frankly, you've got, I am so grateful for the body of Christ because I don't have all that I need. I don't have all that I need. So, so the next principle, number five, is he places you in a power network called the Church of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that I am, I've got a few gifts, but I don't have everything that I need. I don't have what I need. You don't have what you need. You don't have everything. The pressure to have everything. If we preach the gospel that says everything in the New Testament has to be done or developed or created by you individually, that's a lot of pressure. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're born into a power network. I care about the poor. I write checks to the poor, but I need Corey with his gifts to create an organization like Grace Loves so that I have some way to channel and go further than I would have gone in that direction. You follow what I'm saying? Somebody's got to lead me in that direction. I'm a, I'm a teacher and a historian and, 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 a, and a writer, and I, I, can, I can think that all, all, all solutions, all problems in this room are solved by you buying 10 of my books and reading them by next week. That will solve everything, right? That's how, if you were to a hammer, every problem's a nail, Right? And so we only have our little narrow group of gifts. I need Bishop Brett. I need Pastor Tellus. I need Corey. I need crazy old Jim LaFoon. Come on, join me. I need, I need these guys. I, I, I do. I need them. I need Steve Merle. I even need Jim Critcher. Once he gets saved, he's going to be awesome. I need, you can tell we're all friends. I need these people. Why? Because I don't have everything that I need. Do you? You have every gift? I mean, the Bible specifically tells us we don't individually have every gift. So, so I, think we're, I think we're in, in good, good standing to say, I got some gifts. I got some gifts I can help Corey with. 
but I, got, I don't have most gifts. I need you guys. I got to have you guys. And that's the, that's the key is that when we, number the, 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 the fifth one here is that when you get born again and filled with the Spirit, then you get born into a power network, like an electrical network in a city that begins to bring power and wisdom and understanding and strengthening and coaching into your life to make you better. And I want you to, I want you to understand that when, when, when John was saying, greater is he who is in you, he was not removing the individual application of it, but he was talking to a body of people. You all. See, we, we, there's, there's, some, there's some southern language that they don't use up north. And, and as a result, we don't have a word for it. How do you say you all without sounding southern? People in Pennsylvania say yuns. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but I came from a, from, a, from a southern half of my family, a southern family from Albany, Georgia. So y'all, greater is he who's in y'all. That's what it is. We just don't have a good, good sophisticated New York English word for it. Let's all go Southern. Greater is he who's in y'all than he who's in the world. That's how you guys speak at home anyway. I know most of you anyway. <laughs> I need you. You need me. And by the way, can I just say this, especially to the men? I don't mean to exclude women, but especially to the men. For heaven's sakes, let's stop the pride, this Marlboro man, I'll go it alone I mean mine, I am a rock garbage. I'm not going to make it without my crazy friends, and they're not going to make it without me. Come on. And the Lord has seemed to be, it has pleased Jesus Christ to surround me with some of the weirdest human beings on the planet. And I love them. Why are they, why are they, see, I'm only joking. They're weird to me because they're different from me, right? Anybody who's different from you seems odd, Right? Like some of you looking at me like, man, I, I can hear this sermon for 30 minutes, but I got to get out of here. I mean, because I'm different from you. We're different from each other. That's because we need each other. We need each other. Number six, he gives you in that, in that giving you, embedding you in a power network, he's also giving you the power of agreement. Sometimes go through the New Testament and notice how many times us being agreed in prayer, speaking the same thing, saying the same thing comes with spiritual power. Matthew 18, if you pray on anything that's touching it, in agreement, you'll have it. In fact, the power of agreement is so great that way back early in the Old Testament, in Genesis 11, when a bunch of pagan tribes were building a tower called the Tower of Babel, God, the Bible says God came down, go look at it, God came down and looked at it and said, well, if all of these people speaking the same thing and believing the same stuff do the same thing, what does he say? Nothing they want to do will be impossible to them. Talking about a bunch of pagans. Talking about a bunch of lost tribes from prehistory. Well, if that's true at a human level of them, what's true of those who name the name of Jesus, are filled with the Spirit of God, and are agreeing on truths that God has revealed in Scripture? Stuff ought to change, right? That's part of the reason I need the body of Christ. I need other people's agreement with me. I need other people praying and agreeing with me. And then finally, there's this. I love this verse because, because the Apostle John, who's probably just months from dying, if not weeks, is banking on the idea that by telling them that greater is he who is in them than he who is in the world, that they can overcome, he's sending them on a mission. 
He's sending them forth. He's commanding them. He's calling them. He's summoning them. He's sounding a trumpet. Go forth and make a difference. I want to, I want you to, I want to give you a word, and it's the word to me for this morning, and it's in Hebrew. Ready? It's the word tzalak, T-S-A-L-A-C. Just salak and then a T on the front of it if you want to be a little bit more Hebrew sounding. T-S-A-L-A-C. You know what it means? It means to break through where on the other side is freedom and prosperity. That's what it means. Hebrews are amazing. They've got one, you can have one word that's like three letters long, and it means like 19 English sentences. But, but in this case, this one word means not just to break through, although it does mean breakthrough. What it means is to break through, and on the other side is freedom from the bondage on the front side, and prosperity in the full Hebrew sense of everything being God-ordained and blessed, not just money, although may that be true of you too. I want for you salak. I don't want you tormented. I don't want evil things coming down through your family line. And more importantly, Jesus doesn't want that. I don't want you to believe in lies about yourself, your people, your kids, your parents, your nation, your whatever. People have had an experience you've had. I want you free. I want you to be just like John intended. You're born of God. You have overcome. It was stated in past tense because the victory had already been won. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. world.